um there you go Fantastic. and you can choose what you want as the end or yeah whatever yeah we've still got that outro that we recorded um i am going to go and shit myself <laughs> my captain I can't oh, be captain, that on my captain. <laughs> oh, captain, my captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Welcome to Oh, Captain, uh, my captain, uh, with me, Mark Olver, and uh, and the wonderful Ricky Masinda. How are you, Ricky? I'm great, Mark. I am great. Can't complain. Um, do you? Shall I? Shall I let everyone in the world know the conversation we were just having before we press record properly? I mean, this is your thing to tell, but I want you to, please. <laughs> so uh, we are recording uh, this episode, uh, a special episode of uh, Captain My Captain. Uh, this is the second one. Stop laughing, Ricky. I'll try. Um, we are... <laughs> so... Uh, we are, we are doing these uh, sporadically. I don't know how many we're going to do. Uh, people seem to like the Nish Kumar one. Uh, the reading list with our guest librarian. Ah, yeah. Uh, and our guest librarian today is, uh, is Jimmy Carr, who I'm going to say one of the most famous comedians in the world. Yep, yep. I'm so excited, I have to say. Uh, I've known Jimmy for about 22 years. Uh, we did open spots together. Um, I do lots of warm-up for lots of the shows that Jimmy does. Uh, this is exciting stuff. I'm really excited about the fact that Jimmy... And Jimmy is one of the biggest uh, comedy anoraks I know. Like, he <laughs> absolutely loves it. And through the fate of timing and chronology... We are recording this particular interview with Jimmy the day before I have a regular, so nothing to worry about, a regular colonoscopy. <laughs> so every two years, every two years, uh, because of uh, a medical history in my family, um, I have a camera up my ass and I'm having that tomorrow morning. Yeah, it's a very routine procedure. Thank you very much, Ricky Masinda, the medical student. Um, what isn't routine is doing an interview with one of the most uh, famous respected comedians in the world the day before your colonoscopy. And if anyone uh, has ever had a colonoscopy or knows anyone who's had a colonoscopy, they will know that uh, the day before... What happens the day before, Ricky? Well, you take a bunch of stuff that makes you shit yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the medical description. I prefer pissing out of my ass. Um, <laughs> And that is happening. Uh, that's happening tomorrow. Um, and uh, and I've just had the message from Jimmy, so I think he's just waited to come in. So this is quite exciting. So you're going to hear the interview with Jimmy, and that interview. Uh, every now and then, if I go quiet for a little bit, uh, that means that I'm just I'm concentrating incredibly hard <laughs> but who knows on what absolutely so this is the 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 quickest preamble we've ever done for an episode of oh captain my captain uh, but here we are with mr jimmy carr who is this week's guest librarian on the reading list i've always wanted i've always wanted someone to film it because i've never <laughs> like i've never seen it like you start by seeing your own ass, <laughs> like you. So you see the camera go in, yeah. Um, but I've never seen. I've always blanked out. I've never seen like 
How we... Oliver, Oliver, are you talking about your experiences with um, pornography? What are you talking about? I come in, <laughs> I've come in late there, but all I heard was you never really seen your own ass from that angle. And I just, I know you do adult film work. But... <laughs> Absolutely perfect timing, Jim. Um, uh... People know you're the fake taxi driver, right? <laughs> <laughs> People, people know that, right? People know <laughs> that's how no one makes a living from doing warm-ups. People know that, <laughs> shit, right? Don't tell Ricky that I am the fake taxi driver. Thank you, Jimmy. No, um, I'm having a colonoscopy tomorrow, Jim. I have one every couple of years. Are you having a virtual one or are you having a real <laughs> deal one? Because there's a, there's, a, there's a virtual one where they, um, it's an extraordinary experience because they shoot gas into you. And I don't know about I don't know how you you use your asshole, but mine is <laughs> mine is kind of, mine's an exit only policy. And then they're suddenly they they basically pump you up like a party balloon and take a picture of your butt. It's uh they told me it was a colonoscopy. I'm quite a naive man. <laughs> <laughs> Are you having yours in the park? <laughs> I am actually yeah at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, no best place for it. Um, no, it's it's a weird thing actually. You get to kind of your forties and. Uh, and you, you kind of you got to have one every two years, and then apparently in your fifties it's the real deal. They have to they have to stick a camera up there. Uh, it's it's pretty. I tell you, have you ever had the bladder one? That is a story. Oh no, no. I don't want to have that one. So they get they get a camera, and you imagine it's going to be. A, have you had this, Jim? Yeah, 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 yeah. I had this like uh, maybe. Oh God, it's got to be fifteen years ago now. So uh, you've got your you've you've got like a bladder problem. It's getting up in the night to pee. And, and so I, I was kind of worried about it. And I saw a doctor and he said, look, we should really check this out. You're a young man. Could be a prostate thing. Could be anything, you know. So they take a camera and you think it's going to be the width of a human hair because they tell you it's going to go into your, your, your penis and into the bladder. And you go, okay, all right, but it's going to be. And then they get something out and it looks like a Sharpie. <laughs> oh, that's not going in. And, and they start, and they, first of all, they inject you. I thought it was the whole procedure. They start injecting you with the, with the thing to numbing numbing cream <laughs> it's like it's it and you can kind of feel it and you go you go you hurt in a place that you didn't know you had a place oh and and you think all of that sounds painful but when they take the camera out they just try and they just go oh don't look now yoink <laughs> you can't look down you just think well i imagine i have a mangina now i'm, I'm gonna <sighs> i guess it's a different life for me um <laughs> It's uh, I, sorry. I don't know what the podcast is about, but it's this is a medical <laughs> call-in show. Yeah, is it a medical call-in show? It feels like a medical call-in show. It's really funny you should say that. So uh, Jimmy has not met Ricky before. Jimmy Carr, Ricky Masindo. Oh, hey Ricky, how are you? It's a pleasure, Jimmy. Well, very nice to meet you. And and Ricky is a stand-up comedian who has done uh, twenty-two gigs, but he's also a medical student. So while you were telling me about this, um, Ricky seemed to be coping with it much better than I was. Well, wait a second. He's he's a he's a medical student. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean. Yeah, I mean, we're in the mid-pandemic. So presumably Mark and I are encouraging you to follow comedy. But really, <laughs> there's a big part of me thinking, ah, oh, I think we need you elsewhere. <laughs> I think. So is the, what's the podcast called? Operation Disappoint Ricky's Parents? <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Masindo. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Masindo. Seems like the title of the sitcom we are writing now. Okay, so medical student making your parents proud and then you've decided, you know what, pivot. Pivot, let's make them hate me. 
they're big, they're big fans of my stand-up. At least I hope. What? How far into how far into medicine are you? I'm sorry, I'm coming to this without knowing anything. But how far into medicine are you, Ricky? So I'm in my fourth year of medicine. Okay, so you're you're closer to being a doctor than I am, but you're not a doctor yet. Exactly. If, you, if we had to. If we had to raise our hands, who's a doctor here? No one's putting their fucking hand up. So we're not. <laughs> and let's, uh, let's hope no doctors put their hand up my ass tomorrow when I have my colonoscopy. Oh, come on. It's just a finger, man. Um, oh. Bill, Bill, just don't get precious about it. Don't get precious. I don't know what it is about you, Mark, but I imagine, I imagine your ass is a state. I imagine it looks like a... <laughs> I imagine, Mark, it looks like a family of raspberries standing over a grave. <laughs> It actually looks like a smashed rhubarb crumble at best, but I think it... There's um, no need to... Sorry, that analogy doesn't work. There's no need to smash a rhubarb crumble. It's already... It's already (laughs) fucked up. Yeah, it's like it's it's already... If anything, you're just rearranging the rubble. Um, (laughs) um, And Ricky, this is why we have these guest librarians. So basically, Jim, um, Ricky has been gigging for... He's done 22 gigs. He's 22. He was two years old the first year, the first time I had my my first gig. And actually, you started at around about the same time, 98, 99. Right. Okay. So, I mean, how are you helping? So he's brand new. But I mean, it's a different, there's a different generation coming up. It's very, it's quite exciting, I think, being in comedy because you have this kind of generational thing of like people come in and different things kind of come to the fore. There's different kind of voices and it's good. You kind of, you're constantly kind of evolving. I think all comics have just had a year off. And I imagine most of us are coming back thinking, this is brand new. I'm planning on doing new shit when I get back, just on the basis that you've had a year to think about it. So I think everyone's kind of going out there like a newborn foal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's great about this podcast is because we're able to every week talk about the things that Ricky is interested in finding out. And so we're talking about getting gigs and managers and agents and finding your voice. But we also want, and then we get a guest in every week who who knows more or knows specific things about that particular subject. But also we're having this thing called the reading list where comics that I know are obsessed and anarchy about stand-up and stand-ups that they love come in and give Ricky type of things that Ricky should be watching, listening to, reading about to help him and other people uh, become better comics. And you love your comedy, right, Jim? Uh, yeah, I, I like my comedy, man. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm more of a consumer, I would say, than, than a performer. You know, if you look at on aggregate, I watch it all the time. I try and keep mm. abreast. So what are we looking for? The, I mean, you're not looking for the goats. Well, we can look at the goat, but also tell me the first stand-up that you got into before you were doing stand-up? I mean, the, fir- the first thing I saw, I don't know if this is interesting for Ricky, I, I would argue it isn't. Um, but the first the first thing I kind of I saw live was probably uh, Pub International, which was a guy called Harry Hill, and he couldn't fill an hour of material. He didn't have an hour of shit, so he had to get some friends to help him out. So we've got this other guy called Al Murray, who at the time was doing noises. He was doing amusing noises, like the guy from Police Academy, mm-hmm. uh, on stage and he he played a character called the pub landlord because they did most of their gigs in pubs and he introduced him on and actually the pub landlord then went on to become a bigger character but it was a crazy weird cabaret celebration it was just fantastic and comedy back then was quite a small world it was there wasn't that many people touring it was like there was an old guard of comedians and very few people in the in the alternative scene in the 80s were actually touring comics it was a lot of sketch people coming up so the first person I saw live was probably Eddie Izzard at the Corn Exchange. Um, 
I mean, re remarkable back then, really remarkable. Do you remember um, which tour was that? Would that have been unrepeatable? Do you think? I think it was unrepeatable. It might have been before that, though. It might have been. Um, it might. I think it might have been the, uh, the. I think the first VHS was out. Hang on, Ricky. We got to explain what a VHS is. It's like. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like a ah oh, Christ. It's like a book, but like there's moving images. I don't know. Um, all you need to know, Ricky, is that Jimmy would have had VHS. I had Betamax. <laughs> all you need to know about VHS. Fuck's sake! That's for our older audience. So you've been you've been in the game for whereabouts are you from, Ricky? You, you you London or? Yes, I was born in Zimbabwe, but I live in Bedfordshire. So like I gig in London, which is because Bedford's like forty minutes from London. But I'm also Bedford's pretty good, I would say. Like in terms of going, I grew. I was in Slough when I started doing comedy. And the London comedy circuit, I think, has something that no other place in the world. I mean, it's great to start in L.A., great to start in New York. There's other great places to start doing comedy, great comedy towns. But for open spots, for people trying to get stage time, there's kind of nothing better than, than London. And there's been, a real, there's been a real sort of shift between the two uh, circuits. There's like the established getting paid circuit and kind of the newbie circuit. And it's diff more difficult than ever, I think, to jump between the two. But it's certainly lots of people are putting gigs on. It's pretty great. 40 minutes is okay as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great place to gig, definitely. And because I go to uni in Bristol, Bristol, I had no idea, is pretty much a lot to do because of Mark. It's a massive stand-up comedy town now because with like the open spots and stuff like that, which is only something I really realized recently. I think, I think it's a weird thing where if you come from sort of, um, uh, you know, if you come from Bristol, there's, there's quite a lot of gigs there. And it's difficult. To, the thing I did, I suppose, the way that I gamed the system when I was, hmm. I'd done 20 gigs, I left my job after doing 20 gigs. I was like, I just went, oh, I'm out. I'm doing this. So I went out every night is how I did it. Because I didn't have, uh, you know, the good is the enemy of the best was my kind of hmm. thing. I, I didn't like my job. I worked for a big oil company. So it was easy for me to make the choice to go, I'm doing this full time. This isn't a hobby. <laughs> This is my whole thing. So I went out every night and bothered people until they gave me stage time. But also, that's probably how you know as many people as you do. Because we, like I said, I remember the first time we met. We met in Edinburgh 99 when Russell was in. And I think you were as well. Russell. The semifinals of So You Think You're Funny 99. Yeah, uh, we were both funny. We were both right, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I I remember that. Yeah, I remember uh, I remember going going to uh, I don't know where we went to eat favorite. I think the little cafe. Yeah, um, we went to favorite, and I met you with Richard Morris. You were with Richard love Morris, Richard who's Morris, now, who's now producing for the BBC, and that 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 semi final. So you Richard funny. Richard Morris had the joke. Uh, I I, I uh, stepped on the cat. He said me out. I said me sorry. Great joke. <laughs> Great joke. I could still I could probably do most of his set now if you need me to. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so you met people and you would come to Bristol uh, and do... I would, Ricky, I would drive to Bristol and do five minutes. I would, wow. I, I was famously, I had a, 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 a carbon footprint like a, like a fucking Wookiee fracking. <laughs> I would go and I would do that. I would go, well, look, if there's a show, I'll do a show because I think it's that thing of like, you know, there's, what's the expression? Learning and earning, right? Mm. First half of your career is learning. Second half is earning. And... Uh, you've like a genius picked two careers where you're learning at the same time and not earning yet. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, you got to, you got to. But when I'm earning, it'll be twice as much. You say that. I mean, are you, are you, 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 you got to. You, the big, the big subtext here is you got to pick a team. Yeah, yeah, it's true, kind of. But it's surprising how many medical comedians there are. Like a weird, 
amount, more than you expect. Yeah, well, Jimmy mentions Harry Hill. Uh, yeah, there's Harry Hill. There's um, uh, well, who else? Hey, come on, let's let's list them. Uh, Harry Hill, Paul Sinner, Simon Brodkin, um, uh, Mike Wozniak. There's you know, there's a couple. Was Mike? Uh, was he? Did he qualify as a doctor? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Wow. Um, Without Tash, I really feel like medicine's missed out. <laughs> he could have been the new Robert Winston. He's amazing. Um, uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, doing both full time is like, I mean, just you've got to compromise on something. Just don't have a social life, I guess. Of course. I mean, definitely. I, I can't see myself becoming a full time 100% doctor. Have you told people at medical school that? Have you mentioned? I can't see myself doing four years <laughs> in. You've gone. I don't really, you know, this is like not broadcast, but like it's available to your tutors <laughs> to um, go. Um, all they care about, as long as I'm turning up, they don't care about what I'm thinking, realistically. Yeah, I suppose it's not really your attitude towards it is not as important as you turning up. But I mean, I have heard tell, I have read this is going to hurt. And yeah. by all accounts, by all accounts, the hours are not as friendly as you would think. I guess you do have, you do have access to medical grade amphetamines. So there's... <laughs> Swings and roundabouts, right? Swings and roundabouts. The other thing about this podcast is that is hopefully when Ricky gets to that point, because let's face it, we're in uh, a lot. To what point? The, the point of selling the medical grade amphetamines to feed his <laughs> comedy habit. What point? Uh, the point is that hopefully we can help Ricky make a informed decision on whether he wants to do stand up uh, for a career or medicine. And that is how I'm selling this to his mum. <laughs> helping him make <laughs> an informed decision. I'm sorry, Mrs. Lucinda. On a long enough curve, we all die. So really, what are you doing in medicine? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean... It's a failing career. I mean, look, look, at, look at all the greats of medicine, like all of their patients now dead. <laughs> and, and so are they. And so are they, yeah. So, I mean, really. Um, <laughs> so, Harry Hill, Pub International... Talking about stand-ups that you started listening to, who were you? Who were you listening to? Uh, I was um, I was very into uh, just from like there was a show called Saturday Night Live, so there wasn't a lot of stand-up on when I was a kid. And I saw, I think both uh, Emo Phillips, Emo came over a couple of times. I now know Emo a little bit. He's um, an amazing man. His joke structure, his joke writing, really appealed to me. So it would have been Emo Phillips, uh, Stephen Wright. Uh, maybe Mitch Hedberg later on, but Mitch wasn't such a big influence. I wasn't really aware of him. He didn't break until after he he, uh, he died. Um, let down by the medical profession, I would argue. Um, <laughs> were you always were you always influenced or a fan of the joke writers? Like all of those people have a style. It's quite old fashioned now to write jokes. It's quite an old fashioned thing to, uh, to you know to, to, for a routine to be fifteen jokes in a row rather than a story with a narrative and heart and how much of yourself you put into the routine. It, you know, it's, it's very, you know, different styles of comedy. We're all on the same bill and we're acting, but really, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a juggler and someone else is a, is a trapeze artist. We're different circus acts. Um, someone that goes out there and speaks their truth is, is a very different thing. I, I happen to really love that style of comedy, but I just, I'm uh, not my gift. So let's do the people who share your gift because uh, Mitch Hedberg, that's the first time that this has come up. Ricky, are you aware of Mitch Hedberg? No, I'm not. I've heard the name before, but I don't know his style of comedy. So Mitch, Mitch, Mitch uh, is a one-liner guy. He's kind of a, a persona of a stoner dude. 
And the way he worked on his persona was he was a stoner dude. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he, had, he has jokes that are almost like kind of haikus, like kind of brilliant bits of philosophy. This is like, I, I, uh, I don't have a girlfriend, but I know a girl who'd be mad if she heard me say that. Or he had the joke, he had the joke, I, I used to do drugs. I still do drugs now, but I used to do drugs too. <laughs> <laughs> I really like, um, and I think of it, this is the thing I like about one-liners because that is not my gift, but the thing I like about one-liners is that they stay with you. Mm. Whenever Wimbledon... We're still looking for your gift, Mark. One of these days, <laughs> I tell you, when we find it, Mark, wow. I think they're going to find it tomorrow. I think that's where it's been hiding all the I've time. I've heard AstraZeneca are looking. <laughs> Whenever I see, uh, Wim whenever Wimbledon is on or any tennis, I always think of uh, Mitch Hedberg's joke. No matter how good I get at tennis, I will never be as good as a wall, yeah. which I just think is just beautiful. And it just stays with you. He's, he's, he's pretty great. Pretty great. Um, so he's really worth checking out. There's a couple of audio recordings. There's a, um, uh, I think there's a Comedy Central half hour that he did where he died on stage. And they, they kind of stuck laughs on it. But he, I mean, it's great anyway. It's just, it's brilliant. Um, because that thing of like, like in lockdown, when you're not gigging as well, other than talking to Mark Olver, which I'd argue would probably hamper your career rather than enhance. <laughs> the, 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 the thing to do, I think, when you're, you know, is work on yourself, work on joke writing. Because it's, it's no matter what kind of comic you want to be, it's going to enhance. Because mm. uh, I think some people get a bit precious about it. And they, they go, um, well, I tell stories. And then when I analyze it, when I look at someone's act, I can go, well, no, that's a, that's a joke with that joke structure. And, and sometimes when, when an act like feels a bit tired, it's because they've got the same joke structure three times in a row. Mm -hmm. And the audience aren't thinking, oh, they've done three pullback reveals in a row, or they've done another rule of three. They've just done two of those. And it's a bit like you go, well, the audience don't go, but they somehow they know the audience go, oh, I'm bored of those. Do another one. Do something else. Mm. keep on surprising me you've got to keep on surprising me in different ways did that come first for you the theory side or did that come after you'd been gigging and writing i think it's afterwards i, I kind of thought that you got to choose your persona i thought that you would sit down and go right i'm going to be a storyteller great and no i think it finds you i think you're you're, you're but through doing stand-up your sense of humor is revealed to you and right. to the audience but like it's a bit of a surprise i didn't think i would be this filthy and this reliant on jokes, but I love, I love the language and the and the turn and the uh, the analysis is obviously tends to happen afterwards. You tend to kind of analyze it afterwards and look for. It's about pattern recognition, though. All comedy, when you break it down, is about pattern recognition. Mm. And it's about going. Look, I've seen this behavior before. I've seen this vocal thing before. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that. I'm gonna analyze that. And you know, so it's a. I, I don't know if that's that's true of medicine, but I imagine it is. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It definitely is. I mean, and I think, honestly, I feel the thing that I love the most about doing comedy is actually the writing, like the joke construction, because there's just something so nice about taking words and that mean one thing. But if you look at it one way, it means another thing. And everyone just gets that. Well, here's here's my here's my advice then. Uh, treat it like Jenga. Look at every joke you've written so far and just take away every word that you can do without just mm. pare it down less is more it's like brevity is i think people overwrite when they start i don't know if mark would agree but i think you often see someone who's got like a great idea i haven't seen your set i've got i haven't got a, a dog in the race mm. but i bet dollars to donuts that you you know you've written a routine it's like 10 minutes long and you go 
yeah, it's a three minute routine. It's like mm. get, cut to the chase. Mm. Take out everything that isn't everything that's an extraneous fact. Ah, who cares? Mm. The set up the punchline. I love that one liner thing is obviously the ultimate example of like, it's just all they need to laugh. Is that why Stephen Wright is so great? Would you, you, you mentioned the goat earlier and I don't know if you've got the goat, the greatest of all time in your head. And I don't want you to tell me yet, but I want to keep trying to guess. Would you say is Stephen Wright up there as the, one of the greatest of all time? I, I, I don't know. Cause I think stand up as a, as a medium, I, I don't know whether he'd make, I don't know whether there'd be a gag guy on the Mount Rushmore. If you're doing a Mount Rushmore of the, of the greats, which is the analogy that, uh, uh, Neil Brennan, uh, one of my friends and uh, one of the great comics, uh, draws. I, I think the Mount Rushmore, I think you'd be hard-pressed to put a gag guy up there because it's it's a very busy place. Um, can we? We talked about... So Nish Kumar has been uh, the librarian as well. And we talked about the uh, the problematic nature of having Woody Allen on that uh, Mount Rushmore. So if we kind of... Uh, he was a gag guy, right? I mean, his gags were in. I mean, listen, you could, you can, yeah, you could, you could absolutely argue that the, uh, he was a gag guy very early on, very briefly. I mean, for a couple of oh, years. Okay. But he was so influential on a generation of comedians. It's like, uh, you know, you, you can make an argument that between Woody Allen and Richard Pryor, mm. everyone's doing a tribute act. Everyone's doing a, everyone's taking a piece of that. All, you know, I think George Carlin is underrated in this country. I think people, have kind of forgotten about George Carlin over here, or he didn't really resonate in the same way. George Carlin, for me, is is maybe as important as uh, Richard Pryor, uh, like in terms of influence. Woody Allen was kind of the, uh, the that generation before, which was, I mean, extraordinary in terms of the innovation. Um, but you know, and that's the generation that I love, like Lady Bruce Mortsall. Dick Gregory, Jonathan Winters, that we... Well, Mortsal for me would be someone that's really worth looking at. I mean, a really... And, and someone that you kind of go... I mean, you can get it all now on Spotify. You can listen to the, the absolute, the greats of that era. And it's really about looking at that. The joke construction, it's weird how they survive. Mm. Jokes survive, like, for years. There's an old... There's a joke uh, from uh, The Lover of Laughter, which was written about 2000 BC. And it's a guy walks into a barber's and the barber says, how would you like your haircut? And, and the guy says, in silence. I, I mean, that's still, that's still fucking what? There's an even older joke that I think still works, which is uh, there's a, a, like an Egyptian guy and an Egyptian guy. And he goes up to um, a twin and he says, was it you or your twin who died? <laughs> it's still kind. I mean, it's like it's joke shaped. It's like it could, if it was in someone's set, you wouldn't go, well, that seems 6,000 years old. Unbelievable. Mm. I love that thing of like, if it's there's there's I don't know it's weird isn't it that thing of um, I don't really have a point here but there's some comedians where you go only they could say that when you look at a lot of Richard Pryor stuff you go only he could say this this is from his perspective this is his truth this is a man uh, who who started his career really you know trying to uh, copy what Bill Cosby was doing you know if you look at his early recordings he was he was a very mainstream clean cut great guy and then he was really hit by the civil rights movement and just decided, no, I'm changing everything. After a, a gig in Vegas, he just went, right, I'm, I'm blowing it up. It was his third album back that was the big one. That was the, the one that, um, uh, I, well, I can't say it on the podcast, but this guy is crazy. He's <laughs> the album. Unbelievable. It's, it's, it's so great. Um, I, you know, so, and, and then, you know, so that guy, you know, you could never, 
you can never repeat those jokes. And the thing that I love about jokes sometimes is that you're, you're, you give people something they could take home from a show. They remember 10 of the jokes or they're, you know, at an airport information desk and they go, oh, how many airports are there in the world? Or whatever, whatever the wisecrack is that they can just kind of go to. I've got one that... Uh... I've got one that I heard for the first time with you, Jimmy. Uh, so Dimitri Martin, who, uh, again, I think is absolutely amazing. And again, probably hasn't done as much over here as he could have. I remember watching him in Edinburgh. It might have been the year he won the award. Or it might have been the year before. Me and you were, I think it was a BBC Presents show in the Pleasant Dome. And he did a joke. Um, there's a difference between pissing in the pool and pissing into the pool. And I still remember hearing that joke for the very first time every time I see a swimming pool. I still think about that. Yeah, joke. it's kind of it's kind of lovely. Yeah, uh, Dimitri's really worth checking out his specials because he's one of these guys that's, uh, he's quite, I would say, quite arts and craftsy about the whole thing. He loves visualization and he loves kind of doing cartoons and pictures. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not in touch with him that often, but I saw him like three years ago and we had a long chat. He's, I mean, he's still... Fabulous. A great joke writer, just a funny guy. Brilliant. And again, and people people on the circuit, and, and this was the other thing about Ricky, maybe people like Milton Jones and mm. Tim Vine, uh, people who who we know but maybe don't have the specials, the Spotify specials, the Netflix specials. That, that's, I think Milton Jones is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's really, he's really got a body of work, I think. Um, I mean, Stuart Francis, I thought, was an amazing, who's a Canadian comedian that I think is now a cartoonist full-time. And you can really see how he made that transition because his mind kind of worked in that way, but had some great jokes. I mean, the other thing about it is, you know, we're talking about some of the guys that we started with and we gigged with. You're going to have your own guys. Mm. You know, when you go out there and you gig, part of the joy of being a stand-up is... The, the doing the stand-up but a huge part is the camaraderie of it mm. and being part of a generation and you know the reason to go to edinburgh or the reason to go to you know any of the festivals is really to hang out and to see stuff you get out what you put in yeah i mean that camaraderie is one of my favorite things about stand-up because once you go to a gig with someone that's pretty much a friend like i'd say my two things the two things that i love the most about stand-up one is like the fact that jokes have this ability like this unique ability to introduce concepts to people that they've never necessarily thought about before so you can say something that's contrary to someone's opinion but because it's funny it might not change their mind but at least you have an opportunity to actually introduce that concept to them without them being like nope that's definitely not true so it's a very disarming thing, comedy. But then the second thing that I love the most is the fact that like the people that I gig with and stuff like that, those are friends that I'll have for a very long time. And I love the fact that we watch each other's stuff and we enjoy each other's stuff and that like in the future we can talk about each other's first gigs and stuff like that. It's I mean, just one you do meet comics. You do meet comics that don't watch anything. Like yeah. at the back of the stage, they're doing coke in the dressing room. <laughs> those motherfuckers are still doing coke in the dressing room because they never got better because you only really get better through being part of, it's like a musician that doesn't listen to records. You go, I'll tell you what that musician is, probably shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky, is there someone that you would love to see live? I mean, because you've mentioned Chappelle a few times. Yeah, 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 it would definitely be Dave Chappelle. I mean, like Finn said last week or whatever order these come out, um, there's just a generation of comedians that were influenced by him. Like the whole hitting your mic on your thigh thing. Like that's such an unnatural thing to do, but loads of people do it because of Dave Chappelle. Um, if there's any one special that got me into stand up, it was definitely his Netflix special, Sticks and Stones. I just love it. 
And uh, I'd also want to see like Joe Rogan and stuff, but that's more because I'm a podcast nerd, not a stand-up nerd. Uh, also Bill Burr, because I think he's a comedy genius. But if I had to pick only one, it would definitely be. I mean, I mean, I've, I, I mean, I've, I've gigged with Dave quite a lot um, over the years. We, we hang out a little bit. He's, yeah, he's remarkable. He's very, very good at the stand-up comedy. I mean, it's interesting. His voice pattern is Bugs Bunny. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, <laughs> I see that actually. Uh, that's not that's not my observation. That's an observation of Neil Brennan, who's one of my best friends and co-wrote Chappelle Show. Uh, and also, one of the things I would recommend that probably the best structured, uh, or one of the funniest, definitely, but certainly the best structured stand-up specials there has ever been. It's on Netflix. It's called Three Mics. So Neil did a special where it's the first mic is jokes, the second mic is stand-up distinct from jokes the third mic is the truth and over the course of an hour he starts off with jokes and you think oh jokes are great just do the jokes and then you kind of go oh no do more of the stand-up the stand-up a bit deeper a bit more detail great and then by the end of it you're just going just tell me the truth it's pretty cool wow that's so interesting dave Chappelle, from what i understand is not a white guy from slough <laughs> yeah uh, the jury's still out. That's that's uh, yeah. That seems that seems. I mean, if we're if we're talking irrefutable, that's right up there. <laughs> when you meet someone like Dave Chappelle, who's I'm guessing his experience of doing stand up, the way he is, it the same as yours and mine? Did he have the? W would there be a Dave Chappelle version of Jeff Lighting, and would there be a Dave Chappelle version of you yeah. know uh, the open mic scene? Like, of course. I mean, same? I think I think when you when you go to sort of. Um, I'm trying to think of where I met Chappelle or, or you know, or, uh, or Colin Quinn or Chris Rock or any kind of New York, L.A. great comics. Yeah, the same experiences, the same people. I mean, listen, you've only got to watch comedians in cars getting coffee and you kind of go, oh, yeah, kind of people on the, on the road is on the road and traveling is traveling. And, you know, sometimes you get shortchanged for gigs and you, you, you know, you, you, you win, you win, you lose, you learn. Uh, you know, a bad gig is the best stories are always from the bad gigs. You you need to go and have some bad shows and have some war stories. And, you know, that's kind of that's the fun of it. And those are the, those are the things that you kind of dine out on later. Who do you love now, Jimmy? Who are you seeing? Because you go over to obviously not in the last year, but you go over to uh, Montreal for just for laughs a lot. And uh, Yeah, let me think. I like Beth Stelling a lot. I don't know if you know Beth Stelling. I think she's no, no. a phenomenal joke writer. I think she's got a special. You could probably, I don't know whether it was Hulu or something, but it's a great special. Uh, really, really something. Um, uh, I like Michelle Wolf a lot. I think her sort of voice is really sort of unique and uh, fun. I like, uh, just trying to think who else I, I kind of been watching recently. Um, we were talking about, uh, with Nish, we were talking about, because this is the thing. So I, I love stand-up, but as soon as I started gigging all the time i watched less and less because i was out especially on netflix especially uh the specials i you know i when i do circuit gigs i'll, I'll watch people and love them john mulaney passed me by for quite a while which oh, really? and then we spoke about him with nish and i was like holy shit and so in, in the last couple of days i've just listened to as much as i can because i think he's he's brilliant i love him yeah he's great what's that route the routine of his about the uh, playing um, uh, uh, Delilah in a diner. You heard that routine? 
No, no, that's a fun. You can get get that on YouTube. I think in terms of how to structure a routine. So it's a routine about him in Chicago with a buddy and the most fun they ever had. They go into a diner and they play the song. I think it's I think it's Delilah. I think I'm right in saying uh, they play it uh, 18 times in a row and everyone loses their minds. But the, the you know it's a funny premise. But the routine's unbelievably fucking great. He just nails every beat of this routine, like how to tell a story. Yeah, I only really saw him for the first time when he hosted Saturday Night Live and I saw his monologue and I had no idea that he was so- Really? Oh, the, um, yeah. What, what's the first one? It's the, um, it's new in town is, is, uh, is pretty good. That, yeah. That's his first special. And then it, is it a handsome boy or something? It's some, yeah. something crazy for the second title. Yeah. Comeback kid. Yeah. Um, no, he's a genuinely, yeah, brilliantly funny performer. Great. But also a writer as well as a performer, you know, and I think that's, that feels But everyone, like- everyone is, you know, every comic is a singer songwriter and yeah. uh, some people don't write, have enough songs and they have a couple of hits and they, they stay on that circuit. And some people are constantly coming up with new shit, you know, and then you have, um, I suppose, you know, to, to draw the analogy out, you, you know, someone like Dave Chappelle is a jazz musician. They could just take a theme and run with it. It's great. I've actually been re-watching Chappelle's show on, uh, on Netflix. I haven't yeah. seen it, hadn't seen it in a couple of years and re-watched it. And I mean, the sketches, the quality of writing is just phenomenal. I love it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite sketch shows. Who, uh, who would be in your, who would be the GOAT then, Jimmy? Who would be in your, your top three? I think... Is I mean, that impossible? No, I don't think it is. I think, uh, I think Chris Rock would be right up there. I think in terms of, I think a lot of people in terms of their, the, the way that he structures a routine, the way that he sets out a premise, that the whole audience go, no. And then he talks them around. He's just a philosopher king. He's the, because the, the, it's, it's kind of the package is what you're looking for. Like the pound for pound. Okay, so the material, great, funny jokes. The cadence of speech, the way in which he delivers that, the, 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 the rhythm of it. He's right in the pocket of the rhythm. He's just a fucking amazing performer. He's a remarkable stand-up and, and the work has been really... Actually, I haven't seen it. I saw Tambourine and there's a new mm. edit of Tambourine that just dropped. I think it's called Total Blackout. So I haven't seen that yet, but I've, I'm kind of saving it. I'm kind of looking forward to it because I thought that was... I think Bo Burnham directed that, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. And the, the, the lighting, the whole thing just looks... It looks phenomenal. Oh, I didn't know that because obviously... Because I, I saw Bo Burnham... Again in Edinburgh, actually, probably met him uh, through you or with you um, when he came over. He's great. He's kind of making movies now. He's not really performing live as much, which is um, I find odd because he's such a fucking great performer. But he's in movies and doing great. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird now. You've got, you've got friends. I've got friends that are now like in movies, and I go, Ah, you missed a trick, man. You could have been could have been doing more stand up. Fucked up. <laughs> You fucked up. What you get? An Oscar nomination? Oh man, you could be touring. You fucked up. <laughs> but you love it. Like, even there's no one that I know who is famous. Russell Richardson, Josh Riddicum. There's no one I know who loves touring as much as you love touring. I think, or gigging um, as much as you do. Yeah, I, I really, I really do get a kick out of it. I think it's that thing of, um, I don't know. In, in all things, I suppose it's like gratitude is one of the key things in life. Uh, you know, and, and being kind of aware and present and thinking, right, this is the life that I wanted and I get to do what I love 
not many people get to say that. Just fucking be grateful. Just enjoy it. I can imagine it must feel so incredible to do something you love and, you know, be successful at it and all that stuff. And I think that's something that, like, non-comedians don't really know or understand that um, doing comedy is so much fun and that it's almost like a massive rush because I think it's one of the only times that you really purely feel in the moment. I mean, obviously, there's the the joy of having people laugh at your jokes and stuff like that. But when you kill and you do well and all that stuff, I mean, obviously I haven't done arenas or whatever, but whenever I do well on like a gig, it's like that is one of the greatest feelings in the world. And not having that through lockdown has been very difficult. And I don't think that's something that's easy for people to understand if they've never done stand-up. I think I think Ricky's Ricky's got a really interesting, a really interesting dilemma here because being a doctor is kind of one of the great jobs. Yeah. And being a stand-up is one of the great jobs. And they're both quite difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. Both difficult to do. Uh, I would say there's, there's slightly more certainty on the doctor side. Show business can be a cruel mistress. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's the decision. Because no one, no one gives up their job to be a comic, to be a famous TV comedian. Mm. You give up to be a circuit comic. Yeah. Because that's... That's where, if you're a gambling man, which I am, you go, look, the odds are I can make it on the circuit. I can make a nice living, mm. same living as a doctor, maybe, if I do well on the circuit. I could do well. Mm. So would you take that now? Which one, which one are you drawn to? Which one do you think is more exciting? Because, See, yeah, it's a tough one because it's, it's so strange because I feel medicine has this perception of, like kind of deserved difficulty. But the strange thing is once you're in at 18 at into university, you're in. Like really there's no more barriers at all. So right now between me becoming a comedian on the circuit and me becoming a doctor. Mark, Mark, this, this, this fucking idiot doesn't know about his final medical exams. I don't even know why we're talking to him. <laughs> this guy, this guy is a fucking idiot. He's not, not only is he not going to pass, he's not expecting there to be exams. <laughs> oh, man, I thought, <laughs> I thought I was in surgery tomorrow. He just, he just applied and now he decided he has to wait seven years to become a, a doctor and that's it. That's so what do you mean? Is. What do you mean there's no barriers? Are you, I mean, I, I'm presuming, I suppose at your age now, you're 22 or whatever, so yeah. you don't go, there's no more of this bullshit. Oh, I don't know whether I passed nonsense that school yeah. kids do. You just go, yeah, I fucking, I'm good at exams. I mean, yeah, that's kind of it. But it's also, if you just look at the raw statistics, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but the vast majority of medical students pass their finals. So it's not an expectation of passing versus failing. It's an expectation of how well are you going to do? Because ultimately, this, the unis and the NHS don't want you to fail because, I mean, it's socialized medicine. It's not it wouldn't be in their best interest to make it difficult. Like they want you to be safe, but they don't want you to get stressed. Listen, we're going to test you now. You've got to play the game Operation and get his funny bone. <laughs> but Ricky also works in a hospital. So like you've also, you've got the vibe of what it's like to, to be in the wards. To I know that's not the same as being yeah. a junior doctor. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's interesting. To be honest, right now, the barrier to me becoming a doctor is a lot easier than the barrier to me becoming a stand-up comedian. Like, <laughs> and that might sound outrageous, but if you're a medical student, you'll understand that once you're in at 18, you're... What do you mean you work in a hospital then? If you work in a hospital, are you currently... Are you catch me if you can, pretending to be a doctor whilst training to be a doctor? <laughs> now I'm a nursing assistant because the NHS has ridiculous like payment on weekends. Ridiculous payment on weekends? Yeah, yeah, like the amount they pay you, the wages. Are you saying they pay nurses on weekends too much? Because yeah. <laughs> um, 
That's I'm going to straight up disagree. I'm going to straight up disagree. Let's, let's agree financially. We're in very different places, Ricky. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree. Because where I'm calling from, I don't imagine... Oh, I tell you what I'm doing. I'm a nursing assistant. Why? Because the sweet, sweet dollar bill. <laughs> make it money. make it rain. No, wait. Make it drizzle. We can make it drizzle, but not for long. <laughs> we can make it look like drizzle and then stop. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the problems is that uh, Ricky's. I'm going to say it was his sixth or seventh gig was with me supporting Russell Howard in a big 250-seater outdoor gig in Bristol. And I think that's just giving him the buzz forever and ever. Yeah, 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 that's definitely true. But I definitely loved it before. I mean, I thought I was going to Lakota that day just to watch a bit of comedy. Yeah, sure, sure. This is Mark Olver. Mark Olver kind of upping his role in your story. (laughs) Sure. He wants a piece. I mean, it's Mark Mark literally saying, I think I may be his inspiration. Sure. No, I think I might be the mistake. I think I might be the thing that kind of, I think I might be the, uh, the bad devil on his shoulder going, look what you could have. This is what you can do. Well, here's, here's the thing, right? And I never thought you'd be the good angel, Jimmy. Well, no, here's, here's what I would advise. Uh, You know, if I was, you know, if we were uh, chatting in a bar, I would say, look, you've got three more years in medicine. You'd be crazy not to qualify uh, because you're good at that. Three more years to qualify. I think you're probably three years away from your first Edinburgh show. Mm -hmm. I think you should try and do both the same year. And you should look at the certificate for the medical degree. And you should look at the reviews for the first show and then make your decision. Because Mm. it strikes, strikes, for most people, I would say, fucking give one of them up because you're going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. And it seems like you can do both. And if you can multitask and do both, well, fair play to you. That's excellent. Well, it's like, I love them both. But... I would say the thing in life that makes me think this is incredible, I could do this for the rest of my life, is even when I'm on stage to 10 people and just having fun. Because when you choose medicine, you don't choose medicine because you love medicine. You choose medicine because you can do chemistry and biology A-level. Yeah, well, also, what bit of medicine are you getting? Because there's there's different things to do. Exactly. There's research. It's everything from research uh, labs to oncology. It's such a massive broad church. It's weird that we just call it medicine, really. Course, when you consider yeah. how many jobs there are within that. Uh, you know, I've got friends that are in biomedical or whatever, and friends that are GPs, and it's such a different life. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I, don't, I mean, maybe there's something you could do that would, that would you know, work out where you do it all. Yeah, and, and I mean, at the end of this, worst, worst case scenario... I come out with a medical degree and I've been essentially practicing public speaking. No, 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 no. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is you don't make it as a stand up. You're not funny enough. And you fail your medical degree and you, (laughs) you fucking, you die homeless. Let's, let's, this is the worst case scenario. I get a medical degree. Motherfucker, you're confident. (laughs) Crazy confidence. It's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. Okay, well, I mean, even there, upbeat. I love it. Um, yeah, I've got a spare room as well, Ricky. So you'll never die homeless, mate. <laughs> what about the? Uh, what's your standard material about at the moment? Do you talk mainly about being a doctor. Do you talk about life? What do you talk about? Well, my main thing I would say is I talk about whatever in my life. So over lockdown, my main material was talking about like race stuff. But also it's just about, it's quite, it's quite self-reflective, I would say. So shit that's going on in my life, really. So it's quite, it's me on stage. Is that how I would describe it? But that's it. it, At once that's specific, but also very general, because I mean, really, if you look at Dave Chappelle, 
every great routine has been about race. So you mm. you go, well, that's that's that. It, it's it's enough just to talk about that and that experience. Um, and then I, I don't know. I think like working that joke writing muscle. Like if I said to you, um, you, you you're doing a med- medical degree, right? And you might become a GP. Mm-hmm. and you might want to specialize. You might decide to specialize. I think it's the same thing in comedy. I think you go, okay, so you want to be a comic, and you're going to talk about yourself and your experience of the world. Great, that's a GP. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, why not specialize? Why not have another skill that you could do surgery? So let's say joke writing is surgery. So learn how to write jokes. Mm-hmm. Watch loads of great people doing jokes, deconstruct them, and then reverse engineer it. You're a smart guy. You'll be able to pick them apart, put them back together, figure out how they did it. What was the thought that started that? How did they do it? How about as another thing you could bring to the party? And then work on performance. Like mm. performative skills is like being, I don't know, a obs and gyne. So you have another skill set where you could do, you know, voices and faces and silly stuff mm. and see what skills, you, what, what could you bring to the table? Think of it like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you got... Don't specialise in warm-up, Ricky, because I will fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm keeping that. I'm keeping that all for myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mark Ov has been doing warm-up through the last year uh, to TV records where there is no audience. And the phrase, <laughs> the phrase, robbing a living, springs to mind. <laughs> Don't tell too many people, Jimmy. Don't tell people. <laughs> You are an unnecessary expense, is what you are, Mark. <laughs> and that's and I love you. I'm coming from that's coming from, that's from a friend. That's coming from a place of love. That's from a friend. You want to hear what people that don't like him say? <laughs> Never. Don't talk to those people. And I always used to say this. I've said this to people, and I think this this chat has has proven me right. Which is, I always thought that Jimmy, you'd be such a brilliant agent, a brilliant director, a brilliant. Just, TV person just behind stop the scenes. doing jokes. Yeah, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> but but you you do have that. I like Ricky's just got careers advice from Jimmy Carr. Like you could have had the option. Could you have had the options to move away from? No, I don't think so. I think it, you look at what producers do when you look what agents do. It's really about like it's detail, and I think having a great support team. Like the thing about comedy is it sort of appears the the magic is. You imagine, oh, it's one guy on stage and he got up there and had some funny thoughts. But actually that guy prepared it. You don't see the work that he did in the gym, which is the writing, and you don't see the support team. Anyone that's done well in comedy, it's been a team effort. But it doesn't look that way because you're just seeing the one guy. You don't really see the, the managers and the agents and the, and the producers on TV. You know, or Mark doing the warm-up or whatever. You've got so many people trying to make you look good on a TV show. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. But you get all the credit. It's great. Show business. <laughs> um, Ricky, before we let Jimmy go, and thank you again, Jimmy. We, we did with Nish that Ricky might have had like an issue or a thought or something that you want to improve in your stand-up, Ricky. And I think we've touched that. But was there anything that you want sort of Dr. Jimmy to prescribe to you in terms of a stand-up <laughs> at the moment? Is there anything that you've been thinking about yeah. this week? Yeah, yeah, there is some stuff. So like actually you mentioned it earlier about building a stage identity like that's kind of something that you thought about first and it's like when someone says jimmy carr they they can picture the idea the personality jimmy carr yeah where do you think that comes from would you write around like do you feel like when you're writing material you're thinking would jimmy carr say this or is it i am jimmy carr so this just comes out 
I think it's it just comes out. I think your per, your persona isn't created; it's revealed, mm. and comedians leak. You'll tell jokes on stage, and people will have a feel for whether you really mean it, or it's just a joke, or is that okay or not okay, or mm -hmm. you know, you'll leak, and the audience just feel it, and they they kind of they they go with it. So I think your thing is um, you've got a really good voice. I think, like, oh, well, if you. we if you if you make it as a comedian. We could look back at this and we could go, oh, he's exactly the way he is mm. on this podcast on stage. The closer, like when I started, I was a bit stiff on stage. So finding your persona is a bit like you're very relaxed now chatting to us on the podcast, right? So it's finding that voice on stage. It's mm. a wonderful thing not to have a phone voice. Yeah, It's a wonderful thing to be yourself. So I like to go, and sometimes you see a performer, I mean, obviously a character act is the, is the biggest example of that. Like they come on and Al Murray pretends to be drunk on stage and it's great. But what people are looking for in your persona, what you're looking for is who's the real me, but me in front of 3000 people at Hammersmith. What, what do I sound like? Am I giggly? Am I smiley? Like I get the feeling you would laugh at your own jokes. I get the feeling you would... You've got a really, you've got, a, yeah. you've got an amazing smile and, and you've got great diction, great kind of uh, cadence to your speech. So that thing of like leaning into that and going, right, what are the things that you already have mm. that you can go? Well, I think jokes would be ideal for you because you've got that thing of like, you've got a nice voice, you've got, and laughing at it and knowing that it's funny gives mm. other people, like people often sort of go, oh, you never laugh at your own jokes. It's like some fucking bullshit someone wrote in the 70s it's not like of course you do like if it's if it's like letting your laugh out is a lovely thing mm. giving people permission to kind of go oh this is fun this is lovely you're creating a great space it's kind of mark does it beautifully as a as a warm-up of like welcoming the audience and like there's no it's not like i don't think you'll have a status trick mm. like my thing on stage is i've got a big status i'm like mm. you've paid to see me this is the fucking show and we're going hard early great that it works for me and it's that that it seems to kind of fit if i pretended to be everyone's best friend on stage mm. it would be i mean my, my, i've just kind of written about this uh i think you've got to decide are you charm or charisma Ooh. those are the two big distinctions in life <laughs> charm and charisma right so charisma is you come to me and charm is I go to you. I am charm. I am charm. You're charm personified. Of course you are. I'm, I can't. I can't wait for them to come to me. <laughs> I'm. 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 I'm nothing but. I've got no charm. Zero charm. I've got very little warmth on stage. I'm all charisma. Not that thing. Because like, they're both. It's not one's better than the other. But knowing knowing what kind of an animal you are is so the key to getting this. And I. I think it's going to be charm. I mean, I haven't met you. I haven't seen mm. your act. Yeah. Just this podcast. But I would say charm and warmth and joy is what you kind of exude that would be where i would lean that would mm. be and don't don't overthink it any time you spend thinking about your persona i feel is wasted because it's time you could be spending writing jokes mm. and the jokes will tell you the jokes that get the big response the jokes that the audience will tell you oh that works for you that's not so much so sometimes you do write a joke and you go i, I sometimes write you know really silly wordplay things that i like performing and the audience kind of, ah, they're like, yeah, it's nice, but nah. they, they tell me what they, what they want to hear. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you. Jimmy, thank you. I, the reason that we came up with this idea, we, me and Ricky came up with this idea separately, but the reason I wanted to do it was to remind myself of how useful it was and how much I benefited from 
all the people that I gigged with when I started and all the people that I would do. Car I mean, I, te- I tell you what, you're, yeah, you're missing out on the car journeys. This is this is the equivalent of a, you know, hour and a half in the car chatting shit. Mm. How was the gig? Who heckled who? And then it's like, what do comics talk about? Well, who are the great comics? Who shit? Who, who you know, it's that kind of that, <laughs> that weird, not bitching, but like people are very, like comedies because it's so fucking obvious. Like I, I, getting bitched about is such a high, you know, it's like it's clear who took the roof off. Mm. Who's doing great? Who's, who's, you know, who's flying? It's, it feels like it's a very, a very fair profession. <laughs> um, well, a, a pleasure meeting you. Hopefully we'll see you down the road. Yeah, I definitely hope so. Yeah, I'm sure that, that's the other great thing is that I wanted to do this when Ricky had not done many gigs at all. And so we can... In two years' time, three years' time, we can talk to people about TV stuff and Edinburgh shows and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's brilliant to be able to track someone's progress. You know, the next thing to do is that, you know, obviously when the, when the world comes back, do some gigs, but go to Edinburgh as a punter and just see seven or eight shows a day. That's your summer holiday. You know, if you're into this, if you think you might do it, that should be your summer holiday. Don't bother with Spain or whatever, go under the sun. Fuck all that. Um <laughs> fun is made in Edinburgh because there's nothing to get in the way um Jimmy thank you very much and I will see you hopefully in the next uh six to eight weeks I think I think when... six, six to eight what, what's what are we doing man what have we got, <laughs> we got shows? um I think we got Katz's countdown in May that little thing have we yeah oh, okay cool I'll, I'll, uh... <laughs> I mean I think Anne Robinson's hosting that now I'm not sure I'm still on it <laughs> I'll have a word. We'll have a word. Have a word, yeah. I'll come back, right? I mean, pleasure talking to you as always and a pleasure meeting you. I wish you every success, man. Take care. Thanks so much, Jimmy. That was so great. I'll be lucky. All right, take care. Bye. Take care. Wow, I am sweating so much. It's fucking mind-blowing. Yeah, Yeah. we both need to lie down. And I didn't shit myself. No, you didn't. Well done. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) But let's just say that was Jimmy Carr and that was uh, Oh Captain, My Captain. And uh, what an episode. And if you listen... Uh, to this every week or if you know someone who wants to get into comedy uh, that's the plan that's the idea of this podcast is to get people who can help and we just got Jimmy Carr um, suggesting stand up he loves uh, giving Ricky Macindo careers advice uh, and specific comedy advice giving you fucking compliments ricky look at oh that. my god what a night like so thank you very much for uh for listening and we will be back with uh more oh captain my captain uh very very soon uh that was oh captain my captain thank you very much for uh listening i hope you found it useful um i think you all know uh what i'm gonna say now but uh one of the things when you do podcasts is that uh, basically, it, it, we want more people to listen to it because we think it's quite useful. Uh, Ricky, people can listen to it. I'm, I know they can listen to it on Spotify, and I listen to it myself to hear my own voice on Pocket Cast. Where else can people listen in? Well, you can listen in at Apple Podcasts. You can listen in at Breaker. Pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, really. You can also listen to it at Google Podcasts, which I did not know existed until I started doing this. But just type in podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts, it'll be there. And to help us um, on all of those sites, there are ways to subscribe and to review and say nice things, correct? Yeah, or unnice things. I mean, <laughs> any attention is good attention on the internet. 
But yeah, best place to leave us a review is on Apple Podcasts. Just go to our page, scroll to the bottom and leave us a star rating. Tell us what you think. Tell us if you have anything you think we need to improve on. And follow us on Twitter at OhCatMyCatPod and subscribe to us on Spotify. Basically, follow us everywhere, except in person, because that wouldn't be good. I mean, unless you're a massive fan. And uh, sending questions if you've got oh, questions, captain, topics that you captain. want us to talk about. Uh, re, uh, sort of refer oh, us and recommend us to your friends. And I think oh, that is captain, the end of this bit captain. of the podcast, correct? Yes, it is. It really, really oh, is. Captain, my captain.